Well, I want to welcome everyone here and those online, of course, to our New Hope Chapel celebration, gathering, worship service. If you look at your outlines, you look at your handouts, you'll notice that the title of my sermon this morning is The Bible, A Blueprint for Blessing. I, I sincerely believe that this is the most important expository sermon that I've ever been given by God to deliver. So please hear me. My text is the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. Pray with me as I look to Psalm 1914, as I always do. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, there has never been another book like it in the history of the world. You know, it's outsold more books than any other book in history. It's selling at the rate of over 35 million a year. And it's currently being translated into 600 different languages. And since the turn of the century, more than 80 translations just in English alone have taken place. Of course, I'm talking about the Bible. Do you know that over 80% of Americans own a Bible? Yet only 11% of Americans read the Bible every day, and 50% never read it. You might think it's unfair for me to compare a statistic that includes all Americans. But when you look at only those who claim to be born-again Christians, only 18% read their Bible every day, and 23% never read it. 57% will only read it in church. Well, forgetting his politics, I agree with President Woodrow Wilson when he said, quote, I'm sorry for men who do not read the Bible every day. I wonder why they deprive themselves of the strength and the pleasure. It's one of the most singular books in the world. For every time you open it, some old text that you've read a score of times suddenly beams with a new meaning. There is no other book that I know of of which this is true. There is no other book that yields its meaning so personally, that seems to fit itself so intimately to the very spirit that is seeking its guidance. End of quote. In other words, President Wilson was saying, read it or weep. You know, the person who does not read their Bible has no greater advantage than someone who doesn't own a Bible And the reason we need to be reading it, the reason we need to apply it, is because the Bible is God's blueprint for blessings. James says in our text, verse 25, that anyone who reads the Bible and lives the Bible will be blessed in what he does. But let me add that the Bible is not an ABM, an automatic automatic blessing machine. There are certain conditions that must be met if the Bible is going to be the meat that feeds us rather than the dust that chokes us. So first thing you're online, consider that we must properly approach the Word of God. You may read your Bible, respect your Bible, and even reverence your Bible, 
and still not properly respond and relate to your Bible. And James tells us that there are four stages in properly approaching the Word of God, and these are contemplation, concentration, continuation, and consummation. Let's talk first about contemplation. Verses 23 to 24. And it says here in verses 23 to 24, For if anyone is the hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now this describes the first stage of Bible reading. James is describing a person who skims over his Bible, who superficially reads his Bible, then forgets everything that he has read and goes about his business as if he had never read it to begin with. And this person is like a man who gets up in the morning, looks at his face in the mirror, sees a beard that needs shaving, hair that needs combing, but instead just puts on his clothes and forgets about that unshaven face and that uncombed hair, and he goes to work looking like an accident, begging to find a place to happen. Now, don't miss the fact that James compares the Bible to a mirror. I mean, did you know that the Bible has a mirror ministry? If you ever thought about it, mirrors can be ruthless. Every mirror has three characteristics. One, mirrors don't lie. Two, mirrors don't play favorites. And three, mirrors don't worry about your feelings. Mirrors are not like photographs. You know, a professional photographer, for example, he can take a picture of you at a, cer- at a certain angle, your good side, and can make you and show you and make you look younger and better than you, than you really are. They can erase warts, blemishes. They can obliterate wrinkles. They can take away lines and make you look, as I said, 20 years younger than you really are. So whereas a picture can be made to show you like you would like to be, the mirror shows you as you really are. Mirrors do tell the truth. When a man looks in the mirror, he sees areas that seem to be needing to be cleaned up. And as a matter of fact, that's why a lot of people don't like to read the Bible, because you see, not only do you read the Bible, the Bible is really reading you. Bertha Smith, she was a great missionary to China. And she tells of a painting that she saw of a Chinese man who was dressed in beautiful clothing. It was embroidered on the outside and had fur lined on the inside, showing that he was obviously a wealthy man. And this painting, the artist had painted this Chinese studying his Bible, but over the Bible was a mirror. It was the artist's way of saying that the Bible is a mirror. And you could see as you looked over the shoulder of this man, his reflection in the mirror. And his reflection in the mirror did not show a man in finery. It showed him dressed in filthy rags. So when you read your Bible, you see yourself the way God sees you. We need to stop and concentrate on that. And so seconds concentration. In verse 24, James describes the man in the mirror as observing himself. 
But in verse 25, he describes the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Now, the first word observed refers to a casual glance. But the second word in looks, in verse 25, refers to a careful gaze. It means to fix your attention upon something in a microscopic fashion. Indeed, the Greek word for the words looks into in your text is the same word that is used of Peter in John 20. When the Bible says there that he stooped in and he looked into the empty tomb, and when Peter looked into that empty tomb, he didn't just glance in, turn around and walk away. He investigated every nook, every crook, every corner, every cranny. His eyes went over every square inch of that tomb. You see, the first man peruses the the word. The second man probes the word. The first man scans the word. The second man studies the word. And the first man casually inspects the word. The second man carefully investigates the word. If you are going to get out of this Bible what you ought to get out of it, and the Bible is going to get into you like it ought to get into you, you're going to have to concentrate your attention on this book just like a watchmaker concentrates his attention on a watch. And that is you take this Bible apart, putting it together and making it work in your life. Third, consider continuation. See, James goes on to say in verse 25, that not only are we to look into the perfect law of liberty, but we are to continue in it. People who read their Bible weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, will read their Bible weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y. If you're going to read your Bible properly, you must read it daily, devotedly, and diligently. And in fact, the more you read it, the more you'll understand it, and the more you will enjoy it. You know, it's been said that you will go through three stages in your attitude toward the Bible as you study it continuously. First, the castor oil stage. Here you study the Bible because it's good for you, even though you don't enjoy it. Second, the cereal stage. Your Bible reading is dry and uninteresting, but you realize that it's nourishing. And third, the peaches and cream stage. You actually begin to enjoy and crave the taste of God's word. You know, the Bible will indeed go from castor oil and cereal to peaches and cream. And one Christian wisely said, the proof that the Bible is good food is the eating of it. And fourth, consider consummation. Our text, verse 22, states, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know what I wish? I wish people would quit listening to sermons. I wish they would start living sermons. Listen, what we believe we live by The rest is just religious talk. Too many of us hear without heeding, read without responding, confess without changing, profess without practicing, and worshiping without witnessing, and finally seeking without sharing. 
You may have heard of Watchman Nee, the great Chinese Christian. Well, he made a powerful statement. He said, Bible knowledge is the outgrowth of obedience. Everything else is just information. So you can believe the truths taught in the Bible, but they will remain just information until you obey it. And then once you obey it, then it becomes knowledge. And when it becomes knowledge, then it becomes blessing. And the psalmist said in Psalm 119:2, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. The Lord himself said in John 13, 17, If you know these things, happy are you who do them. And so secondly, your outline, consider that we must prayerfully appreciate the word of God. You know, we are not only to read the Bible, but in verse 21 we are told that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word. And the Greek word for receive literally means to make welcome. That is, you ought to welcome the Bible and make it feel at home. And when the Bible feels at home with you, you will feel at home with the Bible. And did you understand that the Bible first has to come into your heart before you understand it in your head? Do you remember the disciples when they were walking with Jesus down the road to Emmaus? And he began to explain to them the scriptures. Well, they said in Luke 24, 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he, while he opened the scriptures to us? I want you to note that there's a certain kind of heart that has a welcome mat at its door for the Bible. And this heart has three characteristics. And the first characteristic in your outline is listed as a holy heart. We're to, verse 21, lay aside all filthiness. And before you read your Bible, you must have a spiritual house cleaning. And remember, the Bible is a mirror. It will show you if you have any dirt on your face. And someone as well said, when you see a dirty face in the mirror, wash the face, not the mirror. We are to wash away all filthiness. And the word filthiness in this context literally means wax in the ear. Therefore, you must remove anything in your heart that we would keep you from hearing the word of God. Is there anything in your hearts this morning, any predisposition, any presupposition that would keep you from hearing and heeding the word of God? And then James calls the Bible here, in verse 21, the implanted word. Well, the implanted word signifies the process of grafting a branch onto a limb or planting a seed in the soil. You know, throughout Scripture, the word is called seed. <clears throat> and one thing you must do before you plant seeds is remove weeds. When I was a boy, we used to grow a very large vegetable garden. Every spring, it was my job to go out and weed the garden to make sure that the vegetables would be allowed to grow. You could always tell the spots where I didn't weed very well because some of the plants would be strangled and killed. Only a heart weeded from sin is prepared ground for the seed of God's word. Second characteristic, a hungry heart 
you know, we're to lay aside, verse 21, the overflow of wickedness. Well, the word used here for overflow is the same word used when Jesus fed the 5,000, and we were told then that he had 12 baskets left over. Here, this refers to leftover sins. You cannot feed on the meat of God's word if your stomach is filled with the leftovers of the world. You must get rid of all your pet sins before the Bible will ever come alive in you. You know, David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Well, I would add to that, that if you regard iniquity in your heart, you will not hear the Lord. I say it again, the seed of God's word cannot take root where the weeds of sin have grown. And the third characteristic, a humble heart. We must receive the implanted word, verse 21, with meekness. And the word meekness here means trainability, teachability. You know, it was a word that referred to how a wild horse would be tamed and broken. You see, the difference between a wild horse and a tame horse is this. A wild horse has a will of its own, but a tame horse has surrendered its will to its master. Pride-filled people don't surrender to God or his word. Now, there are only two ways you can study the Bible. First, studying it with your mind made up. Or two, studying it and let it make up your mind. Now, do you know why a lot of Christians get in trouble? Because when they face difficult circumstances, they do what they think is right and not what God says is right. Understand clearly and plainly. You don't criticize the Bible. The Bible will criticize you. You are neither to edit the Bible nor audit the Bible. You are simply to obey the Bible. And if you want God to speak to you through his word, if you want God's, the Bible to burst a flame in your presence, you come to God with a pure heart, a hungry soul, and a humble spirit. And God will speak so loudly to you that it will burst your spiritual eardrums apart. And third, in your outline, consider we must practically apply the word of God. Do you know that every precept, every principle, every promise in the Bible has a practical application? And we find it here in verse 19. You see, when you read your Bible, study your Bible, and obey your Bible, it's going to affect your thoughts, your tongue, and your temper. And the man or woman who practically applies the Bible will find three things true about them. First, They will be a ready listener. Verse 19 states, Therefore be swift to hear. Even Shakespeare said, Give everyone thine ear, few thy voice. Too often we reverse this. We are swift to speak and slow to hear. Solomon wisely said in Proverbs 18, 13, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly. 
and shame to him. The number one problem in homes today between parents and children is the problem of communication. The number one marital problem between husband and wife is this problem of communication. We are quick to speak, but slow to hear. You know, one man was talking to his neighbor and he said, my wife just goes around talking, talking to herself all the time. I mean, she never stops. It's just incessant all the time talking to herself. And the neighbor said, man, that's terrible. Does she even realize she's doing it? And the man said, no, she thinks I'm listening to her. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were all just quicker on opening our ears and closing our mouths than we are at closing our ears and opening our mouths? And second, they will be a reserved speaker. Verse 19 states, be slow to speak. You know, I can't prove this, but it's an old saying that God gave us two ears and one mouth so we would listen twice as much as we talk. You've probably all heard that. Has this, this thought ever occurred to you that you can only be learning if you are listening? You know, a class was having an animated discussion on a given topic, but one pupil was not saying anything. When the teacher asked him why, he said, well, I think... I'll learn more by listening. Anything I say, I already know. The word of God has much to say about being a reserved speaker. For example, Proverbs 19, 10, 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered uh, perceptive. And Ecclesiastic 5, 2 and 3 says this, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. And third, they will have a restrained temper. Still verse 19. Be slow to wrath. In other words, anger. You know, that, only, that not only follows because when you are swift to hear and slow to speak, you will be slow to anger. Now notice it doesn't say you never get angry because sometimes you ought to get angry. You know, when the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath. The Bible says in Mark 3, 5 that Jesus looked at them with anger. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry, but do not sin. I just want you to remember two things about anger and you will handle it well. Be slow to anger. Be quick to get over it. And so to sum up this entire sermon, when the child of God looks into the word of God and sees the Son of God, he is changed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. At this time, I'm going to ask the praise team if they would come to the platform.
for a closing song of worship. They will be leading in a praise song as a closing song of worship. It's entitled, Through It All. I think most of us know that. I'm mentioning this to you because I want you to prepare your hearts and minds to, to sing along with them. Because you'll be singing words like this and more, through it all, through it all, the word is there for us. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. So please stand if you're able. Some of us can't. But stand if you are here to worship Jesus. And at the conclusion, you may resume your seats for my brief closing remarks. Sing in your hearts.
Amen. You may be seated just for a brief closing remarks. You know, I was struck, I was reading of some Bible scholars who were discussing the scriptures. And one asked, what is the best translation of the Bible that you would recommend? And the man responded. He said, I believe that the best is the New American Standard. It is so accurate and it's literal in its translation. Then another man spoke up. He says, you just can't beat the King James Version. I just like it for its beauty and its poetry. Well, one of the men there didn't say anything and they, they looked at him and saw tears running down his cheeks. And he said, men, the best translation of the Bible I have ever come across was my mother. She was truly the first living Bible. Well, listen, you are the only Bible most people will read. So you read it, believe it, obey it, and you will live all of your life under the blessings of God, and you will be his witness. Amen? Amen. Well, service is over. We have to go forth, and we've got to read, study, and consider God's word daily. Amen?